Good day, everyone. I hope everyone had a great weekend and uh, had a half-decent week last week. Uh, we're starting the week out fresh and uh, not a lot of bombshell news this week to talk about, which is honestly, at this point, uh, it's a good thing to me. I uh, I am happy to have a little bit of slow news every now and then. Uh, just touching on Russia-Ukraine, uh, I had hoped to see some easing and slowdown there. Uh, it's starting to look more and more like it might slip into what Zelensky wants and full-scale World War III. Uh, we'll see how it develops, but it's now learned that Ukraine itself has made an offensive attack on Russian territory. Again, I can't necessarily blame them. I'm, I'm middle ground. Although I think it was probably a little irresponsible. We'll see how that ages. Uh, I saw, just before I sat down to record this, I saw... There's now reports of a mass casualty execution, uh, allegedly. I say that because with anything fresh, we cannot just assume this is fact. Uh, the next couple days will we'll bear out more detail. Uh, but so far, uh, it is alleged that Russian military has executed a bunch of civilians, which if true is, is horrific and a war crime. Uh, however, we've seen accusations like this before, such as Snake Island, where it wouldn't have been a war crime, it was military, but they had alleged that they killed a whole bunch of Ukrainian troops, when in reality they did not. So again, I'm not instantly calling foul, uh, but it, it bears some responsibility to kind of test that out a bit. So we'll see how that goes. Here in Canada, not a lot has changed. Uh, I think Trudeau at his fundraising event in BC made a slight at anyone who perceives any threat to freedom right now. Uh, protesters. He made a joke at the expense of protesters, which again is not unexpected. The guy literally just dismisses anyone who thinks differently than him. And genuinely, in a, in a very narcissistic fashion, it people outside of his bubble don't actually even register to him. Uh, it's it's not even a conscious thing. It literally doesn't show on his radar. So, not really surprising. We've kind of known his character for quite some time. So, I mean, I'm ready for his character to surprise me and, uh, and maybe disappoint me on one of the opportunities he has because uh, he's too predictable. Uh, actually, one thing about Trudeau I did take to heart recently. Uh, Joe Biden has said it in the States, and now Trudeau's saying it in Canada. Uh, everyone's saying, prepare for food shortages. They're, they're blaming Ukraine and, and the issues there. And don't get me wrong, absolutely, the, the issues in Ukraine are going to have catastrophic impacts on the food supply chain. Uh, Ukraine is a massive exporter of potash and, and fertilizer, both of which are absolutely needed in our monoculture crop farming. Uh, so when you only farm X, like one crop per field and you keep that rotation too often, you end up depleting the earth of nutrients. So you have to artificially nit like put those nutrients back into the soil and it's sustainable. It, it helps us keep our economy the way it is. Uh, we can disagree. I don't necessarily think 
mass farming is the, and as we'll get into this episode, actually, um, but I don't think that the solution is the biggest possible operations you can get. I, I personally would tend more towards a localized economy, a localized farming, a food source where, where, you know what, I don't eat bananas because I don't live in Florida. I don't live in Cuba. I don't live in Venezuela. So there's going to be some foods locally I'm just never going to be able to have. And I don't necessarily think that's a terrible thing. Maybe as a, maybe as a treat, uh, something like that, but for it to be a staple, it's, it, it's not natural necessarily, but we'll get into that. Ukraine is huge, huge for fertilizer and in so doing, it's massive for production of food. Uh, you will still grow food with less fertilizer. However, your yields are going to be way down. You're, you're going to get less food poundage per acre than you would otherwise. And when you're living on a society and, and your, your food economy really doesn't have a, a lot of abundance and we don't, we don't participate in food stores, uh, here in Canada. And I know in the States is the same where if there's an abundance due to quotas and market manipulation in that sense if there's a, a bumper year when you have a ton of extra say you, you make potatoes and you have a, a great yield and you end up with 20 percent more potatoes than your quota had set in canada and in the states there's there's programs to work with these industries in a attempt to keep pricing stable where they'll actually destroy bumper crop or surplus and this is not one industry this is every industry uh, i know dairy is infamous for this if you produce too much milk which you don't have a say in if you have good yield and you overdo your quota you, you have to dump the milk uh and we're seeing that in pei right now where the sanctions on canadian potatoes have stopped the export and as such, they've been instructed to destroy the potatoes, not sell them locally at a reduced cost, sell them internationally at a reduced cost, not give them away free to food kitchens and, and homeless shelters or whatever. I mean, the Irish, sure no, you can survive on potatoes for quite some time, surprisingly enough, but that's not how Canada and the agricultural system here works. We are happy to throw away food. So we have no stockpile that a normal forethought country, somebody looking towards problems in the future and planning, you might have. And, and certain crops you can't store, um, but crops like corn, potatoes, there are ways to store these to some length, uh, especially corn. Like, you process corn. I mean, it's largely of no nutrient value, but it has a lot of utility. Uh, corn goes into everything, and that's a whole other thing. Maybe it shouldn't go into everything, but it can go into pretty much anything. You can do a lot of canning. You go back to the 50s and the 40s and, and what great-grandma did. And it's like, just do that. As, as an, Again, we've gotten so big picture that the small picture really is what we should be aiming for. Where your great-grandparents would have had preserves and fruit jars and chilies and all this stuff. Anything they could preserve... In case something happened, in case they had a bad year on the farm and they had to ride out a tough winter, we've we've expanded our production and our 
supply chain area, but we have not kept that same mentality. And it's gotten to the point where a lot of the Western economies are a little too complacent. And I think it worries me when Trudeau's saying, hey, watch out for food shortages. Because uh, that guy usually will downplay everything that's bad or might look bad on him. Uh, you saw this when he talked about inflation and government spending and all this stimulus. He refused to even consider there might be problems with it. So when this prick comes out and says, hey, this might be a problem, that worries me because he always downplays everything. So if he's downplaying this, I, I wonder what information he's working with. And that leads me to tonight's main topic. And uh, much like populism, uh, the topic of nationalism, uh, both kind of have been painted in the past with bad brushes. Uh, certainly Hitler was at one point a populist. Again, politics is, is an ever-changing thing, so there was definitely a point where that shifted. Um, but nonetheless, it's you're unable to ignore the fact that Things like populism and nationalism, both of which applied to Hitler, uh, you can't ignore the negative connotations. Um, just like communism, and, and again, this is this might catch a couple people off guard, but when you lay out communism, it is a dystopian dream. You nobody, nobody's going to sit here and say, "Hey, I want people to suffer." Hey, I want people to be unequal. Um, communism in its pure form sounds great. The problem is you can never execute it the, the right way. Uh, and we have the vanity or the hubris to think that, oh, this time we can. That's its own thing. But the root is still, it's still something you can kind of be like, hey, that would be good. Uh, populism and nationalism, not quite to the same extent. Obviously, they haven't killed as many people as, as communism given the fact you've had multiple regimes, Mao, Hitler, Mussolini, there, there's so many communist regimes that have killed so many people. And sure, we can get into semantics. Maybe they don't all fit the, the cookie-cutter communist, but I'm sweeping with a large brush here. Um, but populism and nationalism is... The words we're kind of working with today. Mostly nationalism. I, I'm trying to lay out a case for a nationalist kind of structure. Uh, and and I have to do that carefully because of kind of the, the taboo things that that's attached to. Because obviously I don't want nationalism at the expense of people's lives. Or at the, the expense of bigotry, discrimination, whatever. Uh, and unfortunately that is kind of how it's it's put is is nationalism at the expense of everyone else uh and certainly that is how it was in hitler in in germany and populism we've had populist trump was a populist president and he did not murder a bunch of people he did not have you can disagree you can call him a racist you can call him a bigot the fact is there's no you cannot actually present hey this is the full textbook, this is what he did, he is guilty here. No, it's it's opinion and it is absolutely debatable. Whereas Hitler, for example, a, another populist leader, was a absolute monster and that's not debatable. That's not up for debate. Uh, but nationalism, and, and I think being Canadian and, and living next to the States, 
we kind of see an example of nationalism that's right in front of us, but we never really kind of connect those dots, is you drive through, like, if I go to Port Huron when I'm legally allowed to, or at least in the past when I was, uh, you drive down any street, any suburban street, and there's flags on pretty much every house. You come 10 minutes north of the border, you're in you're in Sarnia, Courtright, Moortown, wherever, and a, you might see a Canadian flag every 10 minutes, 20 minutes even. The concept of being patriotic and nationalist is not ingrained in our culture here. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we didn't actually fight for our country. It was kind of just handed to us. We kind of boot-licked the queen. We still do. But you kind of licked the boots until they said, Hey, here's the keys to the estate. Uh, Grandma's going to the retirement home now, so we're going to leave you the home. And that's kind of how we got it, versus kind of the states. We fought for it, we bled for it, and we took it. This is ours, and we're proud of it. We've built this, we've made it, and damned be to anyone who tries to stop us. But regardless of population sentiment, because like as you're seeing in the states right now, uh, the populist sentiment is clearly one side, but the policy is drastically the other. Uh, and I think coming into the midterms, we're going to see that drastically change. Uh, I, th I hope to see that happen in Canada, although with the new merger, I don't actually know which way it cuts. But nonetheless, policy and population have kind of broken. They're not on the same paths anymore. And I think that's where you see a lot of downfall and problems in political systems. But Canada states, globally, we're in this situation where, be it through industrialization, whatever mechanism that got us here, or multiples of mechanisms, we're in a situation where, where globalism, and I don't mean this as like Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, any of that stuff, we've touched on it, we'll touch on it again, but that's not this. I just simply mean your supply chain and world commerce. We've gotten to the point where we are so dependent on outside forces that we are no longer secure as a nation. Uh, and I don't mean necessarily militarily. We could have all the military in the world. We're still not going to be necessarily secure in Canada. But economically, we have given up so much power and influence over our domestic stuff that it's insane. Uh, for example, you look at our, our oil industry. We have plenty of oil. We could be nationally self-sufficient on energy. However, we don't. We mine the oil, and then we ship it to the states to get refined, at which point we buy back the byproducts, gasoline, diesel, and, and all the petroleum products we can find. We get, it's in plastics, and it's in everything. Um, but we have we very limited processing capabilities in Canada. I'm not going to say we have none. I know we have some. But we do not have the scale that we should in order to be energy independent. Or you look at the hydro stuff in Quebec and Ontario, where we actually sell our hydro to the states at a loss because we produce too much and we, we kind of have nowhere to put it. So the only option is to, to get rid of it to the states. And they, they understand this and they, they make a killing off it because they know we they don't have a lot of options. But this is not specific to, to energy. It really applies to all of our all of our 
industries. Uh, you look at the dairy, you look at a lot of our grain processing, our food processing, our lumber, our steel, our aluminum. We have so many processes that, yes, we have some here, um, but the, the meat of the production is not necessarily finished here. So we ship it out and then buy it back. Uh, same with our, our food. It goes to three different countries before it comes back. Again, not all the time, not every situation. But I'm trying to get at industries where we absolutely could and should be nationally independent. Uh, and for whatever reason, we choose not to be. Uh, and I understand sometimes it can come at a, at a cost. Canadian labor is not as cheap as Mexico labor. Uh, Canadian labor is not as cheap as any third world country's labor. Uh, same with our oil. Uh, again, I'm fine with standing up a green economy, trying to move the ball forward. I'm not fine with shutting down oil to force it that way, but stand up multi multiple streams. But in the past, can Canadian oil has not been cheap. We buy from the Saudis because it's cheap. Labor's cheap. It's actually easier to get out there till technology catched up, caught up. And now we've got a fairly streamlined process that is largely, I, I believe, don't quote me, but I believe we're one of the cleanest production of oil around after we've kind of built the tech around the oil sands because it's not easy to get it out of the oil sands. But once we've kind of stood that up, we've developed, and, and it's come a very long way versus the risks of, you know, offshore drilling and, and deep sea drilling. So, but the whole point, and I think, I think everyone has started, at least in my circle, maybe it's a bit of a bubble, but everyone I know is kind of waking up to the fact that, hey, we aren't really okay to be entered, like, all of these things dependent on other countries. Just like when we saw COVID hit and the chip shortages struck the car market. Uh, again, this is a very high-tech, precision chip situation. And not everyone can do it. But we don't even try. Uh, we don't have that kind of level of tech sector where we could scale anything like that. And instead of trying to build reserves or build capacity, whatever... We have shifted to a, we are just solely independent on this. And I understand it's private business. They get to choose what they do, uh, especially when you're dealing with multinational companies like GM, Ford, all of it. But from a, from a just keeping the wheels on the cart situation from, from a policy standpoint, we have just, well, I mean, with Trudeau, it's been no question. Uh, Harper was a little different. We weren't so quick to just completely throw our our power it really is power to be able to be like no we don't need that we're, we're good uh no you're not gonna try and force this policy so that we can keep a good economic relationship and we've seen that countless times where this country we buy oil from in the middle east they don't want the sanctions so they'll kind of jack up they'll they'll jerk us around with the oil and and supply pricing all of that OPEC is, is horrible, um, but it works because we can't afford to see 30, 40 cents at the pump every time there's a policy dispute between two nations. It's just extra infuriating where we've got, we have what we need, we just can't do what we need to with it here, uh, and it's not even on people's radar. So 
from a economic standpoint, it's we're and we're we're absolutely like Trudeau's warning you. You're about to feel it, and we will. We will all feel it, and and honestly, people will die because of it. And it's not even a, it's not even hyperbole. People have already died because of supply chain shortages due to COVID. We are nice and cushy here in Canada. I would I would be hard pressed to say that I I doubt anyone in Canada has died from the supply chain shortages. But you go to Sudan, you go to Somalia, you go to these third world countries, second and third world countries, where these these impacts are felt sooner and harsher. Uh, I I don't have the stats in front of me, but during COVID, the the absolute poverty level has skyrocketed in, in the world, and I think the I think the absolute poverty level is like something like a dollar a day. Um, again, I don't have the stuff right in front of me, but the first can Red Cross or or one of the organizations organizations basically sets this is what on average globally you need to be able to just live, uh, and I think that that number is about a dollar a day, and. Over the last 30 years, we've all, globally, they've been making strides towards lowering that number and keeping people above the absolute poverty line where people are literally starving to death. And we've made uh, amazing progress. It's, it's, it's incredible just how much progress that's made in even my lifetime. But because of COVID, we have, we have taken away, I think it was something like 15 years we've basically erased of that progress. Uh, we've just skyrocketed people into abject poverty. And make no mistake, uh, these coming shortages, which will come, are going to hurt there the most, and they're they're going to kill people. Uh, a lot of people, again, everyone likes to make their Facebook profile picture of the latest cause. This is this is what I feel about, and this is how virtuous I am. Well, I I can almost guarantee most people have no clue that. Currently in Afghanistan, as a direct result of the Americans' bastardization of dealing with how they left Afghanistan, so the U.S. government has seized, I don't know the number, I think it's something like $14 billion. They've got a ton of Afghan government-owned money that they've just frozen. Uh, this, is, this is money that undoubtedly would help fund terrorism. No question. Not even going to try. But it's also the same money that helps feed its people. So the the United States government, in their infinite wisdom, has made the choice to keep this frozen, that starving millions of Afghanistan people is better than giving them their money that was theirs. Okay, we can disagree with who might end up with it. But starving millions of women, children, and families is better than possibly funding another terrorist attack. Uh, yes, nobody wants another September 11th, but at what cost are you going to pre-prosecute crime? Because uh, at this point, we've... Magnitudes more people in Afghanistan have died than, than did, unfortunately, in New York September 11th. It's terrible. There's no if ands, or buts. But... Again, we're we're talking about global economy impact, and we're and people are dying from it. This all goes 
all wraps around. It, there's so much to, to nationalism. It's not just necessarily the economy. Uh, I ha- When it comes to, you, you look at the states in Afghanistan, and I cannot help but wonder that if the states had a more nationalist policy on intervention, that we could have avoided future or past terror attacks. Uh, and again, I'm not condoning violence or terror. It's it's just wrong. However, I, I as somebody who lives in the middle ground, you kind of have to look at, at the, the average Afghanistan person's perspective. Say I go to a wedding in my family. All of a sudden, a bomb drops from the ceiling and kills half my family. This is not new to me. This is something I've seen for decades. This is pretty much all I know. And I know that it came from the States. You have generations that have lived through that. And and that's largely all they know. Paired with the fact that they have a strictly censored and programmed narrative that, that's shared amongst their their media. So it's difficult to look at that situation and think, yeah, we we could definitely we could definitely like negotiate and calm that down. I'm sorry, but but keeping unnecessary and irresponsible violence going in other countries is not helping a national security. It's not helping calm tensions. It's it's only fueling more problems. So when you look at the fact that they've frozen out their money, I understand. Anyone kind of would understand. Be like, yeah, we've done this to them for this long. They're going to keep trying to kill us. They're going to keep trying to attack us. They probably will. Uh, the question is, what role does does foreign intervention come into this? So I get a little sensitive when people kind of dismiss the idea of nationalism as some Nazi talking point or, or perspective because really it would not solve all of our problems uh, but it would it would definitely minimize a lot of the biggest problems we have today uh, I am I am staunchly a, a nationalist I, I look at our economy and I look at our supply chains and I think we should do everything we can to import as little as we have to and we should do everything we can to export only out of abundance. We should not be exporting oil because we need it processed. We should be exporting oil because we processed it, and now we have more gas than we need so we can profit. Uh, we should not try to be importing key things to sustain our, our, our life. Uh, especially when you look at fertilizer. Uh, Canada produces a ton of natural gas and fertilizer is a byproduct of the natural gas process. Uh, potash comes from that process. You make ammonia and you fertilize. But nonetheless, we are not self-reliant. We are not economic. We are not self-sustaining. We are not independent. As, a, as an economy, we are not independent. We absolutely could be. We have everything in place. We could be independent. Uh, we have more than enough farmland to completely feed us like gluttons and still make a bank of profit by selling. Uh, that goes for every farm industry that would be in your staple pantry at this point. Uh, maybe if you like 
hamsters from New Guinea, that's a delicacy, maybe. You, you import that. But you want beef, you want pork, you want corn, you want wheat, you want any of that stuff. Any of your staple stuff. We have mountains of it. And, and we, we literally destroy mountains of it every year. Just to keep quotas and prices in check. Because they don't want too much supply. Or it will drop the price. And drop the price. And farmers can't do it. So it's a whole nasty mess. But we absolutely could. And and this is the thing. is We need to start having these conversations. Because if things don't change. We will simply just continue to be market manipulated by other countries. And then when times get tough. We have no jam jars in the cellar like Granny had from, from on a big scale. We aren't ready for a hard, cold winter like they were back when they, they built this country. Uh, people have gotten too cushy and too lazy. They, they don't know hard times. And unfortunately, you can't avoid that forever. So sooner or later, it's coming. And as, as Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden said themselves... Food shortages are coming. And you know what? I don't believe a lot of things they say. But when these talking heads come out and say things that should concern people, that's when you really do need to listen. Uh, Because in two, three months from now, when they say, oh, but we told you, they damn well did. They downplayed it. Nobody took them seriously because nothing they say is ever serious. However, this isn't something you should joke around about. Uh... On that note, I, I think everyone would be better off to have a month or two supply of, of rations on hand. Uh, we've definitely, since COVID, honestly, since the toilet paper epidemic, uh, we've kind of had stockpiles of things. Not toilet paper, because, like, really, like, shit hits the fan. I, I don't need the toilet paper. Like, you guys can get creative in a disaster. You'll survive without toilet paper. You won't survive without staples. Get some some protein. Get some nutrients. Get some vitamins. Get some fruits and vegetables canned. Like Toilet paper is the least of your worries if things hit the fan. Uh, it just kind of shows you mentally where everyone is at. Or like how ill-prepared so many people are. Uh, you see people buying toilet paper. It's like... I'm getting all the canned goods I can, and I might pick up an extra box of ammo on the way home. Because it's like, that's how you get prepared. Have stuff on hand that you can ride things out with. Stuff that keeps, and you don't have to worry about. And, and understand that if you have to start dipping into that, you need you need to pace yourself. You cannot... We live in a cushy society where, you know what, yeah, you, you can eat three or 4,000 calories in a day and seem like it's normal. However, when stuff starts to get tight, you have to be able to get back to 1,500 calories a day, 2,000 calories a day uh, for, for an adult. Like, you might have to slim a bit. But nonetheless, I, I, I don't think Canada will bear the brunt of these food shortages. And that's not even, that's not even speculation. We won't. We might, we might reasonably see some empty grocery stores. And I think if the fear hits, you'll have everyone in the masks going and getting and raiding the grocery stores. I think I think that will be our biggest issue is a run on the grocery stores, which is why having a couple weeks 
worth of supply is handy because you can weather the storm of stupid people. I don't think that the supply chain in Canada will shut down to the point where you're going three, four weeks before you get more food. Uh, I think the only way that comes is just stupid people running the grocery store. But nonetheless, this is going to cost lives in other countries. It might cost some here. We, I don't know how bad it's going to get. I, I don't think it'll get as bad as it, it could. But make no mistake, there are third world countries that will die because of this. Millions of people are already dying from current starvation problems. Uh, this is going to get worse. And unless there's a campaign to change your social media circle, you won't even know about it. And, and that's the sad truth of society today. If it's not popular on social media, people won't even know. Uh, like, <laughs> the idea that the States is actively starving out millions of Afghanistan citizens. Right now. Today. Kind of like how they're still bombing countries in the Middle East right now, but we're screaming at Ukraine and Russia. It's it's selective outrage, and it, it almost worse than selective because society's not choosing what they're outraged at. They're being pointed. But I digress. Nationalism is the cure for a bunch of our problems. We we should shop local. How can we change things? Is we'll we'll kind of end it on that. Is try to shop local if you can afford to. Buy local. If it means, hey, you've got to buy one less meal of meat, but you're buying from a local butcher who sourced it from a local farm, do that. If it means, hey, I use a little bit less bread, but I buy bread from the local market that was made in town with wheat that was dried last season locally. It's it's absolutely within your power to make these changes in your bubble, in your economy. And it may not seem like much, but changing your economy on an individual level, it, if everyone starts doing that, it will make changes. Uh, not only are you just supporting good people that are within your your community, your bubble, uh, but you're, you're taking money away from this, this outward push. And that's just as important as spending it locally. I know it's not easy. Uh, It's a combination of spending more and honestly consuming less. Uh, We've gotten to a point in society where we just, we consume mindlessly. We just, no, no, it doesn't matter. We'll just buy more and more. Like, it was never a thought. You you buy a two pound slab of beef that's on sale. No, I'll cook it. That's that's one meal. No, you cut that up and you, you make it last. If you buy a lawnmower and it breaks down after a few years, you don't throw it out. You take it to your local repair shop and you pay some retired old guy who tinkers on engines 30, 40 bucks to fix it. And just getting away from this throwaway economy that is all outsourced. Uh, you're, you're tossing money out of your country, out of your direct market, and you're likely never going to see that come back. When you look at Chinese exports versus imports, uh, they're making bank off people buying things from them. But the money that comes in doesn't go back out. They're not investing in other countries. They are supplying. They are very nationalistic. 
they put the interests of their people ahead of the interests of others, which is fine. It can seem cold, it can seem heartless at times, uh, and I certainly don't think that we should stop humanitarian aid. I don't think we should be saying, hey, Ukraine's in, in a war zone right now, we should not accept refugees. We should. We should be decent people where we can. But it is not our cross to bear every time something goes wrong. And it is not our obligation to throw money at it and to throw resources at it. Uh, it should be a case-by-case basis. And it should be done responsibly. We should only get involved when we have to and in the limited range of involvement that we need to. Uh, being in, like... Again, I go back. I go back. I really should have these stats just stuck to my wall. But uh, Trudeau is spending millions of dollars on gender studies in Pakistan, like, and and there's a whole list. Maybe I'll I'll do one of those. There's a whole list of like ridiculous money we spent on stupid stuff, and it's like that's taxpayers' money. That is my money. You are shipping overseas to do. Gender studies in a country that does not accept your views. Plain and simple. If the people you want to vote for you went to that country and were themselves in public, they would be thrown off a roof. So it's like, great virtue signal. I'm glad that you were able to spend a bunch of money and make yourself feel good. Um, But you're not making an impact like you think you are. and you're hurting people back here. You're, you're taking money away from programs that could help people here. Or, just stop taking money out of my pocket. I, I think that the best tax policy you can have is to tax less. I don't need you to make $10 childcare in Ontario. I need you to take less money so then I can pay my childcare. Like, it's super simple. Carbon tax. I don't need you to take more tax money from my gas consumption so you can feel better about your green program marketing. Because it's like, the the, the program's not doing anything. You're just seeing carbon... That's a whole other episode. (laughs) I'm going to stop myself here. We've kind of laid out. Get your ass to the local farmer's market. Support local industries doing the things you're already buying anyway. Spend a little more consume a little less uh, and feel better about it. If, if you feel good about changing your profile picture to this week's country's flag, just imagine how good you'd feel when you get that warm loaf of bread from Miss Susie down at the market. And, and you look at her and she just smiles because you just helped her put food on her table for her family this week. And not only that, is that money she just made off that loaf of bread is probably going to stay in the community where you work. It might come back to you. And and this is how you, you keep a community growing and healthy and sustainable. So do that. Just do better. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's it's been a rough week. This is not my, my happiest episode. Um, we'll kind of get into that in a, in a future episode. I, I've, I've made the choice that I do want to do an episode on it, but I'm still trying to struggle with how I will kind of approach that. But until then, I'll that's that's a problem for me to figure out. 
but until then, have yourselves a great week. And uh, as always, pay the fee. If if you like this episode, if if we're saying things you you think people around you might get a benefit from, pass it on. Uh, give us a share. And if you haven't already, give us a rating on Apple and Spotify. It helps the algorithm a ton. But as always, stay free, everyone. Fly away.